Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, believers and non-believers. I want to tell you about one of my new favorite podcasts, Femlore. Femlore is a storytelling and discussion podcast with a feminist lens. Each episode explores how these stories impact women today through conversations around societal expectations, gender equality, toxic masculinity, and body positivity. And if you know anything about me, I love breaking down all kinds of folklore and seeing what they tell us about society. From murder ballads and fairy tales, hosts Mindy and Rachel have a really fun and insightful conversation that I love listening to. And if that's not enough to convince you how amazing these ladies are, they encourage listeners to join them in making a difference by sharing and donating to a different nonprofit paired with the story they're discussing. It's an incredibly entertaining and thought-provoking show. I was going to recommend a good episode to start with, but you should just start from the beginning because they're all great. Subscribe to Femlore wherever you get your podcasts and follow them on Instagram at Podcast. Hello, believers, non-believers, and everyone in between. You're listening to Stories with Sapphire. I am Sapphire Sandalo. Now get cozy and open your mind because it's story time. Thank you for being patient with me while Stories with Sapphire was on hiatus. I wanted to take some time off from the show to figure out how I could best use my platform to support the Black Lives Matter movement. So on select Fridays, I'll also be releasing episodes called Stories for Change, where I'll be sharing stories that will help us become better allies. And if you are a Black or LGBTQIA artist, creator, or business owner who would like to promote their work on my show, send me an email at storieswithsapphire at gmail.com. Whether domestic, wild, or spiritual, animals of all kinds play a huge role in our lives. In this week's episode, I share my parents' encounter with a spiritual bird, and I chat with M. Locke, better known as Emzotic, who not only has a terrifying paranormal experience, but a vast well of animal knowledge that can teach us how to be more empathetic and open-minded humans. Chapter 1. The Sparrow Spirit In March of 2019, I received a text from my mom. It is the first Friday of Lent, and we found a pleasant surprise in our bedroom, she wrote. She sent a photo of a bird sitting on a lamp in their bedroom. We are trying to capture it. It's a mystery how it got into our room, my mom's text continued. I didn't think much of the text. I figured the bird probably flew in through a window they didn't realize was open. Then later that night, my mom sent me another update. 
She said that they were finally able to capture the bird, and my dad put it in one of our old bird cages. We used to have a lot of different birds back in the day. Then my mom went out to buy a bigger cage and some food for what she thought would be their new pet. When she got home, the bird was gone. They checked all over to see if there were any holes big enough for it to have gone through, but they couldn't figure out how the bird escaped the locked cage. They were completely baffled. My parents believe that it wasn't a regular bird, but a sort of spiritual bird that visited them as a sign. Birds are able to travel far distances across the earth in the sky near the heavens, which is why many cultures have come to view them as messengers. My dad is an avid bird watcher, and according to him, the bird was a tohi, which is a kind of sparrow. In Egyptian mythology, sparrows were thought to capture the souls of the recently departed and carry them up to the heavens. In Indonesian folklore, a sparrow flying into your home is good luck. But a sparrow could also be seen as a warning. Because they are usually surrounded by predators, they are always on high alert, and when they appear, they could be warning you to pay attention. When I was recollecting with my mom about this incident recently, I told her about the sparrow as an omen, and she said that if they had known this back then, they might have been more prepared for a minor accident that took place shortly after encountering the bird. Of course, there's the chance that this bird was simply a bird that they didn't realize was small enough to squeeze between the cage holes. Maybe there's nothing mysterious about this encounter at all. But ever since that visit, my parents have noticed a variety of birds entering and leaving their home. In fact, as I'm writing this script, my mom just texted me about a hummingbird that flew over to them as they were looking through a photo album and then flew back out. Growing up, we always had our doors closed to keep out insects, but now my parents leave the backyard door open for any birds to come and say hi if they please. They definitely don't try to capture them anymore. The experience taught them that not everything is meant to be ours. We are not the owners of the land. We are simply sharing it. So even if it was a non-magical sparrow, it still delivered a message. To see a photo of the bird, visit storieswithsapphire.com. Chapter 2. Our Companions Okay. Well, hello, listeners. My name is M, also known online as M Zotic. I am an exotic animal specialist. I'm also a former zookeeper. And essentially, I share content all about how to care for exotic pets. And overall, I'm just obsessed with organisms. I was born in London. I was there for a couple of years as a child, which is great because England has some amazing tales of horn and then when I was seven I moved to Hong Kong um, so I've been all over really and now I am in America in the middle of Colorado in beautiful Denver and it's just a good time all around. 
I have a really interesting and conflicted relationship with the paranormal because, on the one hand, I have the brain of a scientist. I like to trust in what I can see, what is tangible, but at the same time, I I have certainly experienced things that I cannot explain and things which. To this day, baffle me, and which I have been so conflicted about ever talking about because I just, I don't want to be viewed as some kind of a kook. But at the end of the day, I can't argue what I've experienced, and I just have come to realize it's foolish to think that we have the answers to everything. So back of my mind, I just think there has to be a logical explanation, even though based on what I've experienced, there isn't. So the first paranormal experience that I can remember was being with my mum in our first home, and I was very young. I was probably about three or four, so just starting to make memories. And my sister, who is two years older, was also in this beautiful master bedroom. It's a gorgeous Victorian house with、uh, beautiful big windows and a. Ton of history, and my mum was upstairs in this master bedroom with us, and I think we were just hanging out. She was folding clothes, and my sister, who is a total chicken when it comes to the paranormal, pointed into the corner and said, "Lady." And my mum just froze. I mean, my mum is strict Catholic. She does not believe in the paranormal, and to her, anything of the sort is just bad news. And she's like, "Oh, Christina, are you seeing something?" And my sister Christina goes, "Yes, mummy, lady." And my mum was like, "All right, well, say goodbye to the nice lady." And upon asking my sister at a later time to describe this lady, it turns out that she was describing the old lady who used to live in our home, who was a Jewish wedding dress designer, and she described her to a T, which is really quite incredible. So that was probably one of my first experiences of、uh, something paranormal happening. In my earlier life, I had one particularly nice experience a few years ago when my absolutely beloved pet ferret Bear passed away, and for a ferret, we were so close. I mean, he was just like. A loyal little dog, and he wasn't just a pet. He was also my colleague. He would come with me every day for years and travel all around the UK as an animal ambassador. I used to work as an animal educator, taking various animals into schools and universities, even prisons sometimes, to give educational talks on adaptation and evolution. And Bear was one of my hands-on creatures. He was so wonderful and gentle. And he really just—he won so many people's hearts over. And when he passed away due to old age, I had to、um, really come to terms with that. He was my only real companion at home. I wasn't living with anyone. I had no companion animals. I had a lot of exotics, but the connection I have with exotics is very different to domestic creatures. And. When I had to have him put to sleep, it was such a heavy burden on my heart, and 
I remember for weeks I would continually smell him and if you've ever smelled a ferret, they smell fragrant and the smell doesn't attach to just random objects, it's attached to the ferret and every night I would wake up because it was almost like I could just smell a ferret under under my nose. It was so peculiar and every ferret smells slightly different and it was 100% bare scent. And more than that, I would hear the tapping of his long nails on the wooden um, corridor that I had outside my bedroom. And more than once, I would like kind of creep to my door and listen and I could almost feel the vibrations of him walking up and down my corridor and when I would open the door there would be nothing there at all and I lived in an apartment complex with a bunch of really old folk who never made any noise so I I knew that it was something some kind of message that perhaps Bear was still with me and peculiarly the only time it stopped and it stopped very suddenly was when I received his ashes back from the crematorium and it was almost like that was it you know he was home again and I keep his ashes with me everywhere I go I travel with them it brings me a lot of comfort and one day I will scatter those ashes but it was certainly peculiar to me to know that As soon as his ashes were brought home again, the signs that he was still around kind of stopped and it's almost like he didn't have to give me that that little nod anymore. And uh, that was a real comfort at that time in my life. I certainly believe that animals do have spirits. I do believe that they are far more sentient um, than people realize. They're a lot more intelligent than people realize. And it's only now that we have started to work with animals more and more that we've started to question, do they have a soul? Do they have an afterlife? And the more we delve into how animals communicate with one another, the more we realize that there's so much we don't know. And I think it's uh, almost a little bit impertinent of us as humans to believe that somehow another living being's soul is lesser than our own. And it only makes sense that if we live and breathe and can experience the paranormal that another living being such as a dog or a cat could experience that too. Um, Whether an animal has an afterlife I don't know but I certainly do believe that I have experienced through my pet ferret bears passing that they have the ability to exist in a kind of afterlife so I would say yes. I also have one other story about the paranormal and how that has affected me Um, and it's a lot more recent. This happened about a year and a half ago now and it's not something that I ever thought that I would talk about but the more the time passes, the more I come to terms with it and make my peace with it, the more I'm able to talk about it and not feel like I'm a complete loon Um, and It was honestly terrifying, so please forgive me if I uh, happen to stumble on my words every now and then. It's just I've blocked out a lot of this, so here we go. Let's just jump on into it. Um, A few years ago, I was renting a property in Morris County in New Jersey, and my former partner was going through a really tough time. He had 
pretty bad blood with someone, which knowing my ex is not that surprising in hindsight. Um, but I really do feel that the person that he had crossed sent something bad to our house. I remember distinctly never feeling uneasy in this house. I always felt so calm and so peaceful and it's almost as though overnight just this heavy veil of anger, not even just sadness, but anger just descended on this house to the point where I felt truly watched, threatened. I would hear things happening in the house down in the basement which were not sounds I would normally hear from this house and I'd lived there for a while. I knew the quirks of the house. This was not normal. It wasn't machinery. It wasn't just the contracting and expanding of of the walls. It was something nasty. It was almost like something was following me in the house. Things would break, things would set on fire, and it was terrifying. One particular evening when I was feeling brave, I thought to myself, you know, I've done a bit of research on how to get rid of nasty entities. I can feel it in the bedroom. I'm just gonna go in there and ask it to leave, because up until this point, I just ignored it. I read everywhere that if there's something you don't want in your house, ignore it, ask it to leave, and like smudge the property, sage it. So I'd been trying to do all of these apart from asking it to leave. And I opened up the bedroom, it was the evening, and even though the sun wasn't completely set yet, when I opened the bedroom door, everything inside this room made my hair stand on end. It was pitch black and it shouldn't have been at this time and I remember I stupidly closed the door behind me and I just couldn't see anything it was almost like someone had put a bag over my head and I didn't know left from right or up from down and I remember my voice trembling but saying you know only only love can enter here only kindness can enter here all other things must leave and it didn't and I just remember reaching behind me and fumbling for the door lock and just exiting. I was like, I I can't. So I rushed out onto the lawn and like took off my shoes and tried to ground myself. And I was like, wow, I have never experienced feeling that unwelcome in my life. And I um, sat on the lawn and I got in touch with a friend of mine who is very spiritual. I suppose one would call her a practicing witch. And I just said to her, listen, I really need some help here. I'm this close to trying to hire a priest to come in and exercising this house. And she really tried to put me at rest. She understands these sorts of things far better than I ever will and has a ton more capability than I do when it comes to trying to bring everything back into balance. So she did what she could from far away and she talked me through bringing certain things into the house, ridding certain things from the house as well, and certain rituals. And over time, things did get better. And I do remember the final straw was when I once again felt very close behind me when I was sleeping, almost like something. If I were to have turned my head, I feel like I would have seen something's head right behind mine. You know, when you can just feel something is hovering right behind you. I could feel that. And 
I was so angry because things had been so balanced for a couple of weeks that I used every ounce of my willpower and I was like, you have to go back to your source right now. And I actually kind of regret using that terminology because I found out that that same time that I did that, the person who I believe had originally sent all this negativity to us got in a car accident. And after that, I mean, they lived, but after that, nothing else happened. It, and I feel terrible because there's a part of me that says it was just coincidence. But then there's also a small part of me, the believer in me, that says, you know, you asked it to go back to its source, and it kind of did. I don't know if that was the right or the wrong thing to do because from what my understanding is when you're trying to get rid of something you you have to make peace with it you don't just make it attach somewhere else like that's terrible um so I kind of regret that but I have not felt anything negative since then since then I've only felt surrounded by positivity for the very most part and anything paranormal that I've experienced and I've only experienced very small things here or there like the pull of a guitar string things like that nothing has felt um evil and I don't use the word evil very often but that chapter of my life that felt evil I learned from that experience is that energy is very real, energy is very tangible. I mean, we can kind of feel it just when someone we share our house with is having a bad day. And we feel it when we're around people who we constantly feel uplifted by. So it only makes sense that when we give out energy, it attaches onto things or it affects things. And where we send energy does have an impact. And it's made me a lot more mindful about how I am around other people and how I want to project what is inside of me to the rest of the world and I try and stay really positive I try to stay uplifting for people because what I experienced in that house I never want to experience again or send to anyone and as much as hauntings and um, Ouija boards and the occult and the paranormal can be really alluring and really interesting, it's not something that I want to ever dabble with because that was terrifying. I truly thought that if I ever encountered anything paranormal, I would, scientifically speaking, be like, wow, this is super cool. That was not cool. I never want to experience that again. I feel that one of the greatest assets I have to protecting my energy now is my dog. I have this incredibly intuitive dog. He is a big, fluffy black Eurasia. I call him Kiba, but his registered name is Grim because he reminds me a lot of the legends of the black dogs of the British Isles, also known as Grimms. Um, but he is one of my greatest daily rituals because if I'm having a bad day and might potentially be susceptible to negative energies, he comes over, he gets me moving, happy outside of the house. And when I come back, it's like I'm a whole new person. So um, he came into my life and became just my everyday companion. I was writing a book called Animal Kind, which I nearly didn't finish because I felt so 
um, so much imposter syndrome and, and really him keeping me grounded every day was the reason I was able to finish this book. And then, of course, my uh, my former partner and I split. It was a very, very painful, very tumultuous split. And I don't know where I would be right now if I didn't have this amazing, gorgeous puppy who just turned a year old a couple of weeks ago, getting me up every morning and being like, hey, it's a great day to go for a walk. It's a great day to put food in my bowl. Like, let's make the most of it. And he is just the most wonderful creature. I feel so blessed to have waited this long in my life and have arrived at the place where I've got the perfect dog for me. M's book, Animal Kind, is available now. It brought me to tears, and I can't recommend it enough. Before I became a podcaster and paranormal investigator, I used to be a full-time animator and character designer, and podcasts kept me company while I drew, especially paranormal podcasts. One of my favorites was Jim Harold's Campfire. I would actually be shocked if you hadn't heard of it because it's one of the OGs. In fact, it recently celebrated its 13th anniversary. But if you haven't heard of it, it's a call-in show where ordinary people share their extraordinary stories with Jim every week. The story topics range from ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, and stories that can't be categorized. You're listening to my show right now, so I know that you love non-fictional paranormal stories. Stories involving the serial killer Ted Bundy, or a man who owned a haunted hotel. And also heartwarming stories of deceased loved ones coming back to say hello. Jim Harold's Campfire was a huge inspiration for me. So do me a personal favor and tune in to Jim Harold's Campfire on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to Stories with Sapphire. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Chapter 3. Creepy Creatures Today, M is an incredibly knowledgeable animal expert, and her career journey is just as fascinating as the animals she works with. My fascination for the natural world has been a part of me ever since I was a child and I would go out into the wild and come home with my pockets full of worms and grasshoppers and snails and my mum, gosh, she hated it because she is terrified of all creatures. To her, like animals belong outside, humans belong inside and that, that was definitely something very difficult for her to come to terms with. Of course, she understands it now um, but back then it was very difficult for her and when I moved to Hong Kong at the age of 10, I wrote to my local pet store and just said, hey, I really would love to get some work experience. Do you need someone to come in and give you a hand? Like, I will work for free or 
I will work for birdseed because I had some budgies at home that needed birdseed and they hired me for a tiny wage, like maybe the equivalent of $2 a day and birdseed. And I would go straight after school and stack the shelves. And before long, I was excelling so much in being a pet store worker, they actually promoted me to manager at the age of 10. And the woman who I worked for would just go away and leave me in charge of the store. And I loved it. And when they shut down, I started working for the Hong Kong RSPCA, which is now just the SPCA, but it is the dog shelter in Hong Kong, one of the biggest. And my job was to go out and trap various uh, feral dogs and then to bring them in, uh, arrange for them to be spayed or neutered. And then I would work with them at the age of 11 (laughs) through to 14 and then place them in a home and match them with the right family. So it was a lot of responsibility for someone who is young. But as I've said earlier, this is it's almost like uh, if if I happen to have either a gift or a predisposition for what I do, it's been with me since the very beginning. And it never felt like work to me. It's just second nature. Following on from that, I became super immersed in exotics because I developed a huge fur allergy and I could no longer really work with dogs or cats and that really broke my heart. So for about the next 10 years or so, I worked with reptiles with you know different kinds of lizards and snakes and I found a huge appreciation for them and I would travel all over the world learning about different venomous species and learning how to trap different kinds of venomous species of snakes from people's homes, removing them safely, educating local communities about what kinds of snakes were venomous and which were benign, and how to safely remove them from from your house. Uh, And I really love that. I really do. I love working with people as much as animals. There are certainly two different kinds of animal people. You've got animal people who are just animal people and don't like people. And then you've got animal people who really love people as well. And I'm definitely the latter. I am such a chatterbox. I love to talk about animals at length to anyone who will listen. So my next uh, jump was to YouTube because then I could just talk at length about all kinds of animals. And I didn't think that my YouTube channel would ever be what it is today. I was happy when I had 12 views on a video and all of a sudden people were flocking in from all over the world and leaving comments and subscribing and telling me how much they appreciated learning about cockroaches and snails and Argentinian tegus and all of these creepy creatures that most people would not want to hold. And let me tell you, I love the creepier creatures. I couldn't have Em on the show and not have her drop some creepy creature knowledge for us. I will tell you my two favorite creepy creatures. One of them is called the Lancet liver fluke, and it's a kind of parasitic flatworm. It's tiny, and it's capable of mind control. The liver fluke starts off life as an egg. It lives in the dung of hoofstock like sheep and cows, so the eggs are literally 
in the feces. And then snails will come up onto the dung, ingest the liver fluke eggs, and the snails become these parasites' first hosts. The eggs lodge themselves inside the guts of the snail where they start to develop. And then when they're about ready to hatch, the snail expels the eggs and then they attract and are eaten by ants. Now, this is where the fun really starts because once these liver flukes are inside the ants, the worms hatch out of their eggs and one of the worms will slip its way up into the brain of the ant, where it then takes over the ant's ability to actually think and behave. And the worm makes the ant climb up to the grass stalks and into harm's way because ants don't want to be at the top of grass stalks. That they're more likely to get eaten if they're out in the open like that, which is why they tend to be on the floor. And then in the morning, they tend to get eaten by cattle or sheep because obviously these are grazing creatures which are eating up the blades of grass. And then once they're inside the cattle and the sheep, the ant, of course, is now dead. And then the liver flu. Start to reproduce, and the cycle continues. After M shared this, it reminded me of a documentary I watched recently. Scientists had poured cement into an ant hill so that they could study the pathways of an ant colony. And I remember thinking, can you imagine being an ant going about your day, and all of a sudden you're drowning in cement and your entire world is frozen in time? And it made me think about natural disasters, and I thought, what if that is our equivalent of someone pouring cement into our world to study us? We don't often think of ourselves as microscopic, but there are about an estimated two trillion galaxies in our observable universe. And that thought scares a lot of people, but I actually find it comforting. The liver fluke relies on multiple creatures to fulfill its destiny, and whether we're the liver fluke, the snail, the ant, or the sheep in the equation, we're an important part of the equation, working together. I question our world as humans every single day. There is so much that we don't yet completely understand just to do with our psychology, all the way to the the way that we interact with other creatures and other beings that just makes me think that we know nothing. <laughs> There's plenty that we have left to learn. I mean, one of the most incredible things I think in the animal kingdom is is parasites and it, it's because there are parasites everywhere we go we've, we've heard of energy vampires and then uh you know there's all kinds of different plagues out there i mean hey we're living through covid19 right now um but one of the most interesting parasites i think that i've learned about in recent years is to do with the crazy cat lady and if anyone has ever met someone who is really into cats here's a word for you to learn toxoplasmosis now with cats they have a very special parasite that they can spread very easily many cats have it and it is the toxoplasmosis parasite also known as T. gondii and when this parasite finds a host in a rodent it chemically alters the rodent and rodents will run towards cats to their death because they are attracted to the smell of the cat and the cat's urine and it's the same with people some 
people if they end up with toxoplasmosis. They become the quintessential crazy cat lady or cat man for that matter. Um, but yes, it can chemically alter you to the point where you your whole life becomes about cats. So certainly there's a lot that we have to think about. And I don't think that we've even begun to understand the natural world half as well as we think we already know it. Not only is the natural world freaky, but when nature gets freaky... It can be really freaky, and that is so fascinating to me. And for anyone who doesn't catch my drift, we're talking about freaky mating rituals. And one that I want to introduce you to is the crazy and creepy world of anglerfish. Now, if you don't know what an anglerfish looks like, and you've seen that classic movie Finding Nemo. It is that big fat ghoulish fish that lives in the dark depths of the ocean and they have these huge jaws and this massive lure on top of their heads which they dangle in front of their faces and it has a bioluminescent lure on the end which draws in fish. It's literally like a little flashing light. But aside from their freaky looks, the way that they get jiggy with one another is horrific. Like, guys out there, be thankful you are not an anglerfish. So what happens is when the female anglerfish is ready to breed, she will use that bioluminescent lure to attract a male. And when the male, who is far smaller than the the huge female anglerfish, he will find her, he will bite onto her belly area and just hold on. Eventually, they start to fuse together. The female literally absorbs the male to the point that his fins and even his eyes can atrophy and straight up fall off. And then once he has been almost fully absorbed, the male and the female begin to share her blood supply. So the male stays stuck to the female forevermore, providing her with sperm whenever she's ready to mate, but essentially living as a little eyeless face on her stomach for all eternity. I mean, if that's not true love, I don't know what is. I think there is so much that we can stand to learn from marine life, and it's true, we have only really explored about 5% of the ocean, so it's almost like exploring space, but it's right here with us, and there are some incredible species in the sea. One of my favorites is the orca or the killer whale, which is neither a killer nor a whale, really. The females tend to be the ringleaders. It's a matriarchal society. And what we've learned from studying the orca's brain is that their frontal lobe, which is where you process emotion, is so far developed that us humans cannot even begin to comprehend the level of complex emotions that orcas feel. They feel things that we don't understand. So that's what leads me to believe that animals do have souls, that they do feel things and experience things in a way that we'll never understand because everything is created so differently. And the fact that a sea creature, which is just one of the most powerful kinetic animals out there and lives in a matriarchal society and can communicate, has language, has dialect, 
we cannot begin to understand how they feel. So certainly that gives me some kind of moral dilemmas when it comes to animals in captivity. Like, can we truly ever really understand them? Now, to be fair, I am pro-captivity when an animal is born in captivity and is given wonderful enrichment and everything that it needs, because without getting too political, there is not much of a wild to release many animals to. So it's good to preserve species until a point that perhaps maybe we don't need to have them in captivity again. But certainly whilst keeping them in captivity, we really should be looking at what we can do to give them the optimal lives, not just that they are surviving in captivity, but thriving as well and really taking this opportunity to really think about what does it mean to be a living, breathing organism? Because it's different from person to person as it is dog to dog, as it is species to species. So, I mean, it just, wow, it blows my mind. My goodness, the natural world is just a smorgasbord of discovery waiting to happen. I feel that in studying animals and various kinds of anomalies that can happen within animals, whether they are genetic or behavioral, it makes me more interested in people as well. One of the greatest things I've learned from working with animals, observing animals, and also just humans, because we ourselves are animals as well, is that nothing is ever certain. Uh, we are never guaranteed health the next day. There are always anomalies, there are always changes in our code. There's always something different and there's so much that's outside of our control. So I want to inspire people to live life to the fullest and to remember that life is to be enjoyed, not endured. So take a couple of chances. Don't be afraid to take a risk every now and then. So certainly, if there's something you want to do, get out there and make it happen. Thanks for joining me today. If you like what you heard and would like to support this independently run show, consider becoming a member of my Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash stories with Sapphire to see the different tiers and perks like live watch parties or private tarot readings. Have you ever had an encounter with a spirit animal? Send me an email at storieswithsapphire at gmail.com. Salamat and good night. Stories with Sapphire is created and produced by me, Sapphire Sandalo. Special thanks to my guest, M. Zodic. Music written by Sapphire Sandalo. For more information on this episode and my guest, visit storieswithsapphire.com. <laughs>